Welcome back to Ask the Compound. Every week, people email us at askthecompoundshow at gmail.com. Duncan, I was looking this week, and we have 43 pages of questions to go wow. through. A lot of details. We don't mind those details sometimes. Could use a TLDR sometimes, but yeah. uh, we like the fact that people share everything with us. So got to have a good question if you want to make it to the top of the heap, right? It's true, yeah. Today's Ask the Compound is sponsored by Foundation Source. We get a lot of not-to-brags in terms of people's net worth, how much money they have. We don't talk much about giving back, though. Foundation Source empowers people and companies to create a better world through philanthropy. They are the nation's largest provider of foundation management services, trusted source for philanthropic expertise, also have industry-leading technology. I worked in the foundation space most of my career for nonprofits. That is one thing the U.S. does better than any country probably in the world is we give a lot back. And I've worked a lot of nonprofits. Foundation Source can actually help you, family offices, CPAs, attorneys, set up a foundation, manage it yourself, work through the tax, all the tax stuff that goes with it. We have a description. Uh, see the description in the link below. Uh, click on that, and you can figure out uh, what best describes your goals and how Foundation Source can help. Really cool, really cool, uh, cool organization. Yeah, very cool. All right, uh, I am doing today's show live from Montreal. I spoke for a banking conference this morning in front of a few hundred bankers. You know that the stereotype of Canadian people is true. Just some of the warmest, nicest people. In the world, they really are, you know. I come from the Midwest where people are generally pretty nice. People in Canada just blow us out of the water. Uh, I've never been to Montreal before, and Duncan, my one way of figuring out when I come to a new city, I want to explore a little bit. I walked around and had dinner last night, and this morning I went for a jog. And anytime I go for a run in a new city, it's a way to explore, but it's also a nice way to find water and find if there's a good trail. And they have a trail right along the water, beautiful, just a gorgeous city, really clean too. That's what I like about it. So I Double thumbs up for Montreal. Uh, have you heard a lot of people say A? Is that a real thing? Well, people have the French here because okay. oh, oh, right, so right. it's more yeah, yeah. French. There's a lot of French, and yeah, it's a very beautiful, beautiful city. So nice. let's get into questions for today. Okay. Up first today, we have a question from Doug. After living through 0% interest rates for years and being a relatively risk-averse 62-year-old approaching retirement, I was thrilled to see 5% T-bill yields this year. I de-risked my portfolio from roughly 75-25 stocks to bonds to more like 60-40 late last year. Now the stock market is up double digits this year, and I feel like I made a terrible decision. Help talk me off the ledge here so I don't regret making an asset allocation change at the wrong time. All right, Doug, I'll talk you off the ledge. I, I don't find much fault in here. The There were definitely a lot of people when it was 0% interest rates who said, I, geez, I should be 60-40, but I'm going to go 75-25 because I'm getting nothing from my bonds. And that made sense. You know, the the two things you could have done back then were make a change to your portfolio allocation or just change your expectations. And I feel like, but this is a good good segue into understanding like the two reasons that market timing is hard. One is, of course, you could be wrong, right? You could make a decision, the market goes against you. If you go all in and the market falls, you feel like an idiot. If you go out of the market, the market rises, you feel like an idiot. Or you could be right, then what, right? Then are you stuck in cash forever? It's hard to get back in. Like, what is your time to get back in? That, that's one of the reasons market timing is so hard. But that's the title I, I, of today's show, right? That's right. Yeah. We And we heard from a lot of people that they were really excited about 5% T-bill yields. We, again, we, we got so many questions on this, and a lot of people asked us if it made sense, should I shift some of my equity allocation? And I said, you know, that sounds good in a world where the stock market is in a bear market, we're down 20%. When the stock market is up 20%, those 5% T-bill yields don't sound quite as good. So this is why I, I wasn't a big fan of making a sweeping change to your portfolio. Now, what Doug did here, that's different, right? Doug... Sounds to me like he took a look at his risk profile and time horizon and asset allocation and said, 
now that I'm earning some yield, I think I'm going to go back to where I should have been. So that makes sense to me. And I think you have to think in terms of process over outcomes when making these kind of decisions, right? What if you make a decision to buy or sell stocks or bonds in your portfolio because of your circumstantial change and not because of the market? Because you, you can never time these things perfectly, right? As long as you went from 75 to 25 to 60, 40 for the right reasons, that's fine. But you can't go 75, 25, 60, 40, 75, 25, 60, 40. Oh no, I did something wrong again. That's the problem. If you're going back and forth, if, if you're going to stick there because your risk profile, a time horizon or circumstances or goals changed, that to me is not timing the market. That's just timing your own life. That, that makes sense to me. I mean, the one way you could do it to maybe ease a little of the pain and the regret is slowly do it instead of doing it all at once. But then you could still be wrong there because, well, I look back and I dollar cost average out of the market, but now what if I would have just done it on one, you know, one lump sum, I would have been better. So it's always making these high probability decisions and understanding that you can and will be wrong. Sometimes the market just goes against you. It's not very much fun. So I think everyone is wrong at some point when investing. I think the best you can do is just plan for a wide range of outcomes. That, that's why I think it's so important to give every asset class or strategy in your portfolio a job in the first place. So when you have some cash come in, you don't have to think about it. You just know, okay, I'm putting cash based on this asset allocation and I'm putting it in there now and I'm not thinking about it. So you don't have to get, you have a cash for some reason, a bonus, or you sold something and you sold a house or whatever, you have money. You're not thinking, geez, should I, what's the best investment opportunity? T-bills or bonds or cat or stocks. If you have a plan in place already, you don't even have to think about it. You just do it. That's the whole reason you have a plan in the first place. Yeah, I made a note here, but it kind of reminds me exactly what you're talking about. It reminds me of driving on snow or ice and how where you really get into trouble is snap steering and trying to like overcorrect. That's what causes, you know, wrecks and crashes. You know, the, the very first time I drove in snow, I had a 1989 Honda Accord. Tires were basically bald, which was great <laughs> for driving on northern Michigan. And I didn't have anti-lock brakes. They didn't, they didn't exist on that car yet. Wow. And the first time we had a light dusting, I slammed the brakes and went right into a ditch. Oh, very first time. No. <laughs> I was like a block from home. You're basically an F1 driver if you don't have uh, if you don't have <laughs> yes, brakes. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah. All right. Next question. So yeah, Doug, I don't think you market timed. I think you you made the decision with all the information at the time that you had. I, I'm sure you're kicking yourself. Oh, if I would have waited a little longer. But the reason you set an asset allocation in the first place is because you want to stick with it. Yeah. Good advice. Okay. Up next, we have a question from Chris. Does rebalancing essentially lock in losses? I have a robo-advised Roth IRA that seemingly rebalances every other day. Will I ever get back to break even? And when when do I stop buying the stock market on sale? Rebalancing is actually supposed to be more of a value type of strategy. It's like counter-cyclical approach to investing. So it's a process of trimming some of your winners to buy some of your losers, right? That's the whole idea. So let, let's look at an example to see how rebalancing works in practice. So Let's say you took 60% of your money and you put it in stocks in the U.S. stock market, 40% of your money in 10-year treasuries. So if we, we go back, if we look over the long term, the past 95 years, 1928 to 2022, S&P 500 did 9.6% per year, 10-year treasuries did 4.6%, right? So if we simply took 60% of the stock market return and 40% of the bond market return, we get 7.5% per year roughly, right? Not bad. But what if we take the actual returns on an annual basis, not just the average, and we rebalance back to 60-40 once a year? Now our annualized return is more like 8.2%. So how did we get 70 basis points more of return than what you would expect just based on the averages? Well, it's the rebalancing bonus, right? So over the past 95 years, 
the stock market's outperformed the bond market 60, 60 times on calendar year basis, meaning the bond market has outperformed the stock market 35 times. So those years when stocks are doing better than bonds, you're trimming your gains, which doesn't feel all that good if the stock market keeps going up. But if it goes down, you're doing great, right? And, and those years when bonds do better than stocks, you're redeploying some of that dry powder from bonds into stocks. So it's not a perfect strategy by any means, but I think it's a way to keep yourself honest and stick with that asset allocation, as I talked about. Uh, is daily rebalancing an overkill or every other day? That that does seem a lot to me. It And it actually might it might not be bad for your portfolio, but it might not be good. So Vanguard actually looked at the data in a research piece last year. John, do a chart on for me. Also, I, have to, I just have to say, keep the chart on. Uh, I was giving my talk today, and I have a chart on sticker that we have. I don't know if we sell that one anymore, Duncan. But we have a oh, chart we never on did. It's a, it's a one of a kind. And someone, I can't believe it. They were unfamiliar with my work. And they said, are you a technical analyst? Because I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you have a chart on sticker on your... And no. you just said, yes. Yes, I <laughs> not, am. Not, yeah, ah, good enough. <laughs> So anyway, Vanguard actually looked at a global 60-40 portfolio and found like too frequent or too infrequent is not a good idea. So you can see from this chart, it says daily is actually the worst. Annual is optimal, but then if you never rebalance or wait like two and a half years to rebalance, then you start losing some, some positive benefits from rebalancing. So daily probably is a little too much because you want to have some drift in your portfolio to allow the assets that are doing well to continue working at least for a time. So I think once every... 6, 12, maybe 18 months at the most. It seems reasonable to me. I guess you could also do some sort of threshold where I have a 10% allocation to this asset class, but if it goes 20% above or below that, I could rebalance. Or you could have periodic, I'm going to rebalance annually, but if I breach those thresholds in the meantime, then I'm going to rebalance. That 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 all makes sense to me. I, my view on this is it's horseshoes or hand grenades, right? Close enough does the trick. Now onto the question about locking in the losses. I like the idea behind rebalancing to sell some of your winners, buy some of your losers, especially when stocks are down, right? And so if you're still making contributions and your your portfolio is not fully funded, you want to keep buying stocks on sale. That's a good thing. So I, I think as long as you're doing that, you don't want stocks recovering. The stock market has recovered quite a bit. But it's still down. I think the S&P is down 10% from all-time highs after being down 20% at one point. But if you're still making contributions, yeah, you're not locking in losses. You're just, you're continuing to buy stocks. That, that, you know, I mean, if you're in individual stocks, sure, are some of them never going to go back? Probably. But if you're in an index, can I guarantee they'll come back? No. But I can be pretty certain that losses are probably going to be temporary and that buying into losses, especially if you're a younger person, you're still making contributions, is a good thing. Wait, so you're saying my individual stocks aren't all going to reach their previous highs necessarily? I mean, I, I'm yes, holding out. Probably holding out not. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> yes, the, the probabilities are not with you, unfortunately. Okay. Well, that's depressing. You know, they say hope is not a strategy in investing, but I, I think we all have a little bit of element of hope. Uh, but you you bu- keep buying and hoping, Duncan. Yeah, yeah, I will. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, up next, we have a question from Bill. A, a question from Bill for, a, for another Bill, which is kind of cool. So, if Bill Sweet is going to be on, please ask if he, has, if he knows of a way to move some of my assets into my son's names without tax consequences. I already fully fund Roth accounts for each of them and their wives. Wow, this is a really nice dad. Yeah, it is. Nice parent here. Yeah. Uh, we get questions addressed directly to Bill now. Probably as many as are coming directly to me. So let's let's bring the Roth man on the show. Bill, we have a hey, question Bill. for you coming in hot because you're now getting questions asked to you. Someone asked on our team this morning, how many Ask the Compound shows has Bill appeared on? What do you think? The numbers oh. surprised me. 
Also, wow, drop a, drop numbers in the chat. I'm curious to see guesses. Yeah, that's a great question. Right, well, yeah, so what, do you want me to answer, we, or are we pulling the audience here? What are we doing? Yeah, let's pull the audience, and we'll, we'll answer okay. after this question. I have a yeah, guess. Yeah. So there, I'll write it down. So, so What's crazy, too, to, not to interrupt, but there's two bills, too. You've had multiple bills on the show. Yes. So this bill specified Bill Sweet out of all the bills. It's true. So I'll take it. Yeah. Thank you. So this person wants to, they don't want to uh, go around the U.S. government, the IRS, obviously, but they want to right. figure out how do I leave more money to my heirs before I pass, I guess. What are the what are the gifting consequences here from a tax perspective? Right. So this is, Ben, this is a great not to brag question because it's kind of subtle and embedded. I'm going to assume that Bill isn't talking about income tax here because Ben, as you know, and Duncan, I'm sure you know too, there's no tax con- income tax consequence for transferring assets. As a matter of fact, the cost basis tends to transfer and therefore the tax consequences are the heirs. Ben, if you're going to give away your $179 Apple stock to your kids that you bought for a dollar, the income tax is the kid's problem, not yours, right? So I'm, I'm assuming they're talking about gift tax, which is a totally separate tax regime than income tax entirely. We've all kind of heard of it, right? If you're conservative, death tax. Uh, if not, it's this, this, this sort of a tax on millionaires. And ultimately, the gift tax would only kick in if you're gifting more than $17,000 of assets to any single person in any single year. Bill sounds like a great dad, so I'm assuming he's talking about uh, limits in the head of this. Bill, if you happen to be married, your gift limit, if you split gifts with your spouse, is actually $34,000. And oh, Ben, per person, okay. Per person, correct. And Ben and Bill mentioned in his email that he's been sort of helping his sons and their daughters out with uh, 401ks, his daughters-in-law. So ultimately, if it's couple to couple, that's all the way at $68,000 per couple per year, right? So you, you get to stack oh, So those are pretty high gifts. threshold then. Pretty high threshold, no gift tax consequences at all. Mm-hmm. However, it sounds like Bill's trying to think ahead. He's maybe thinking about some estate planning. If you give anybody in excess of that, you need to file form 709. And that's a gift tax return. But for the most part, you probably don't owe any tax. Ben, do you have any idea why you wouldn't owe tax if you're above the exclusion amount? No, I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out the gift tax stuff here. I'm lost. What do you got? Okay, cool. Okay, the everyone, you, me, Duncan, uh, John, everybody in this listening on this call today has a $12.92 million lifetime gift and estate exclusion at the federal level. And so that means there's no gift tax until you've exhausted that entire limit. And that limit does adjust for inflation. It does change over time. Uh, famously, in 2010, the year George Steinbrenner died, the gift exemption was unlimited, in- like there was no gift tax at all. So it does kind of move around a bit. But ultimately, if we're talking about uh, amounts below that, there's not going to be any gift tax consequences either. You just kind of need to do some estate planning. And this So yeah, really, Bill's, if, yeah, if Bill has a big you know, amount of money, Talking to an advisor or estate planner is yeah. probably not a bad idea. And that's when you hire an attorney. And if you're above that, that, that 12 million, 13 million individual, $26 million for a couple situation, again, God bless you. That's a real serious, not to brag. Uh, that's the type or of Or startup would, foundation. I have one other yeah. suggestion for Bill yeah. here. Yeah. Spend Shoot. some of that money with your kids now. Don't just give it all to them. Amen. Spend some money, take them on a trip, I'm maybe an you. extravagant dinner. I'm Instead of you. leaving it at all, like experience, they're going to appreciate yeah. those experiences and memories way more than they are going to. They could start a, a family business together. I love with that it. Money. I dig it. Yeah, Ben Duncan. I was going to go into Gratz <laughs> Grant or Retained Annuity Trust. I was going to go into family limited partnerships, but Ben, you hit the you hit the nail on the head. That experience you have with your children, you can't replicate that. Young young parent here, I'm with you. You stole my thunder, man. Good good job. All right, all right. Let's reveal. Let's reveal the number. Let's reveal the number. Of uh, times that Bill's been on the show. Oh, yeah. How many times has Can Bill I been guess? on the show? Yeah. What do you got? 15? 15. You're one. Coming in high. You're one. 21? Oh, 21 oh. today. Wow. Today is the 21st time. Wow. I can legally buy beer today. That's yeah. awesome. Isn't that Congratulations, crazy? Congratulations, yeah. guys. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, we'll we had several we'll people you, We'll send you a sticker in the mail, Bill. Great. Great yeah. show. It's <laughs> my favorite part of my whole week. 
when you guys bring me out of the box. Let's do another <laughs> one. I think we got another one addressed right to Bill. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Here we go. Uh, okay, up next we have a question from Nicole. Not our Nicole, though. Uh, I got excited earlier this year when Bill spoke about the new tax change, especially the benefit of a 100% contribution to a Roth 401k. It made me wonder, uh, what will next year's filing look like after increasing my income? They got a pay raise, congrats, uh, and they're doing 100% Roth contribution with no current tax break. Uh, I'm taking advantage of a Roth as I see the benefit of being taxed on my income uh, now. However, I'm a little nervous about my 2023 tax burden. All right, a lot going on here. Uh, yeah, good little not to brag, but I think a lot of people are probably in this in this because inflation has been so high. Yeah. People are getting raises now, right? Labor market is tight. True. So, what's the what's the big worry here, Bill, in terms of the pay raise? Just because because this seems like it, we get this question all the time of I'm close to that Roth limit. I don't know what it's going to look like. What's the what's the worry here? Yeah, so the worry is that Nicole's going to make him more income. Good for Nicole. Ben, keep in mind the tax brackets are adjusting for inflation too. So ultimately, if you're just getting an inflation-adjusted raise, hopefully you're just keeping pace. But the fear is the more that you sort of deposit into that Roth bucket, vice traditional, the higher your income taxes in the present, right? And we all know I'm pro Roth. I mean, Sean and uh, Dave in the in the chat were like, "Hey, should I just ever go 100% Roth?" I think maybe my Roth stance has been a little too overstated. I do love Roths. I think Roths are underutilized. But 100% are you saying Roth, you never go full Roth? You never go full Roth. That's all exactly right. what I'm trying to say. You beat me to the punch. And so I want to quote a couple of things from uh, from an academic paper, uh, Edward Ricquari. Great, great, great academic paper. I shared it there in the chat if you want to check it out. But two quick quotes from when for, when and for whom a Roth conversion is most beneficial. Quote number one, intemporal tax arbitrage proceeds inch by inch. It's a slow process that takes decades to ripen. And furthermore, Roth conversion always pans, pays off if the time span is long enough. Unfortunately, Ben, uh, on a long enough timeline, we're all dead, right? So like really you get to add 10 years after your passing. And I think that kind of nails it. So what Nicole is getting at is, do I want to pay tax now? So John, can we pull up a chart and, and maybe take a look at this? So instead of thinking it like Roth, 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 we want Roth everywhere, what I'm showing the listeners on the, on the YouTube channel is the 2013 marginal tax rates. And here you can just see, if you visualize it, close your eyes, you can see a stair step up. And it goes from 10% to 12% to 22%. That's the first very big jump. And if you look directly in the middle of the chart, the 24 to 32% jump is the next big jump. And the two big jumps happen at roughly about $58,000 of gross income and about $195,000. So Nicole, if you're around there, instead of thinking all Roth or no Roth, for me, if you're contributing below that 22% bracket, it probably makes sense, assuming that you have 30 years of compounding ahead of you. John, can we flip to the next chart, please? To break this into three chunks, my opinion is you want to Roth that piece if you're in the 10 or 12% tax bracket, right? So again, a single individual, $58,000 or less. There's this gray area, Ben, 22 24%. That's probably going to be the distribution tax rate for most taxpayers, assuming they have uh, Social Security, assuming they have some savings. But for me, that 32% jump on the right, to your point, Ben, you never go full Roth. And I would not be doing Roth 401ks or heavy Roth conversions at 32% or higher. So that's generally the, the general rule of thumb. But Ben, as you might know, everything depends. State taxes throw a wrench into things too. But I think maybe my stance on Roth IRAs after all this time is been a all right, so your present yeah. for being on the show 21 times is we're going to get you a tattoo removal and take that raw tattoo <laughs> off your back. I'll take it. I'll take it because it's time. It's time to it's time to get real. So I, unfortunately, guys, with with all things, it depends, and that that's that's not a fun question for ask the compound, but it's the real real life question. 
I just think Roths are underused. And I, so I encourage you while you're young and you're not making a ton of money, just fill those buckets up. Yeah, but up. maybe if, you're, if you are getting up there and you're closer to it, then, then rethink yep. it. Yep. That makes sense. Yep. 100%. All right, let's do another one. Great. Cool. Okay, uh, up next we have a question from Eblin. I'm 32 years old and hoping to retire. They put retire in quotes, so I'm not sure what that means, but hoping to retire before 59 and a half. I'm planning on using investment accounts to supplement my income until I can withdraw from retirement accounts penalty-free. Since capital gains taxes are 15%, does it make sense to max out my Roth IRA and assume a 10% penalty on early withdrawals before investing in a traditional brokerage account? Bill, I think I've asked you this before. What's the half about? Why do we do the half? The half is nuts to me, too. The only people who will celebrate half birthdays are my six-year-olds. Why why do we do this? I mean, speak for yourself. And the the Internal Revenue Service, right? No, it's completely insane. Can we just make it 60 or 59 even? Make the the math easier for me uh, when I'm calculating it. Yeah. So a great question from Evelyn. And this this gets to me. Hang on. Before before you answer, I'm going to throw out my, is, is a taxable account the simple answer here? I mean, yes, it is. I, I think so. And ultimately, again, you don't want all your assets in one bucket, right? You do want diversification. But to, to flip the switch completely on my prior comment, one of the benefits of a Roth IRA in retirement is you get this favorable distribution in, 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 in distributions, this favorable taxation. You always get your contributions back tax-free. Right. And so if you've been funding diligently a Roth IRA for years, for years, for years, and then you begin distributions at 55, more than likely, unless you're taking a full distribution, the first X amount of earnings is going to come out is going to be your contributions. You're not going to pay any income tax. So that to me lends it to this type of early retirement scenario where, okay, I, I'm, I've got a big traditional bucket. I've got a Roth bucket, but I'm 57. I need money for the next two years. Take it from the Roth, right? right. Because, because you're just going to get your contributions back tax-free. So some sort of combination of a Roth and a taxable account gives you pretty good for early retirement to then do the IRAs and 401ks later. The Exactly. Ones. And so the new back tattoo is going to be tax diversification with representation or something at nature. Duncan, I need your help to war game this thing before okay. I- I used to live in DC. Skin. That was basically our license plate. Yeah, taxation without representation. It, it's very powerful. Live free or die, I think, Vermont. That's, that's, See, that's how if, if you ever, if you go to your, to prison with that tattoo, you are immediately anti-Dufresne. A lot of right? prison <laughs> talk on the last two Ask the Compounds. <laughs> I think, I, I think then you tell people you it's EY Roth. You're, yeah. you're referring to Eli Roth, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, th- this is this is kind of talking your own book a little bit, but it, it is a lot of these questions remind me that like when you get to a certain point and you ask these questions and they are so circumstantial to your point, Bill, mm-hmm. that's when it probably makes sense to talk to someone and yeah. and get more clarity and not try to do any. I actually had a question today, Bill, at, at mm. the conference. The financial advisors asked me uh, how I manage my own money. And I talking and I said, I... Not we, we don't have an agreement in place, but I'd said Bill Sweet is technically my financial advisor. If I have a financial planning question or tax question, I go to you. And they all kind of said, oh, I, that's interesting that you have your own advisor. And so like, yeah. sometimes that's like, instead of trying to figure it all yourself and yeah. hitting your head against the wall, like you go to someone who has expertise and let them help you. It's a, and it is an honor and a privilege, uh, something I don't take lightly. Um, but my question is, Ben, are we even going to have retirement if this Canadian smoke monster keeps consuming <laughs> New York City? Uh, John, can you share the photos that Duncan took yesterday? This is the view from my office. And I don't know what it looks like today because I escaped from New York like Snake Plissken. I got the hell out of there. 
Um, but that is some that's, wild that's stuff. That's me taking Blade Runner, Blade Runner yeah. jokes being well, made. Why in are we right all now? in the middle of a Frank Miller Mad Max set all of a sudden? Uh, ben, should we build a border wall to contain this Canadian smoke? <laughs> You're north of the wall right now. What What do you think? Like think giant fans? Clear up here. I think we need, I think we need more fans. Is this what the Chinese big... weather balloon was researching? Like, my question too is, what is wrong with smoke from American fires? Like, why typical Biden administration policy, Duncan, <laughs> that we're here importing foreign smoke when homegrown American small batch smoke made right here in the USA? That's what I'm into. You know, uh, Nicole shared a funny uh, meme or, or video clip from Parks and Rec where Ron Swanson is uh, asking about writing a letter to Canada. And <laughs> he just writes, it's just an expletive. It's basically like F you or something. It's pretty, pretty yeah. funny. So Ben, have you gone to have you gone to Montreal to save us? That's 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 my question. I'm trying to get away from the smoke, I guess. Things are <laughs> things look beautiful here. I'm they fine. send all the smoke south. They exported yes. all that. And we do have plenty of stuff. Canadian viewers of our of all of our we content. We Big which fan. we appreciate. Molson. Uh, yeah, I had, a Mol- I had a Molson at the bar last night. They said it's the real did. stuff, not the kind of stuff you can nice. get in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So. Is, have you seen a uh, moose anywhere? <laughs> a no moose in the city. No, yeah. no. no. Uh, I have a question before before we wrap up. I have a question. I just asked the chat. So you guys talked about animal spirits. Ben, is the bear market over? Can we celebrate? Can we do confetti? Sure, let's do it. Okay. Then we'll celebrate again when we hit new highs. Okay. Does the bear market will end when the smoke over New York City clears and mm-hmm. Godzilla? It's like the, it's like the, it's like the Pope the dying. Ocean. I yeah. thought you were going to hedge more, so I didn't actually have anything ready for uh, I don't for saying yes. <laughs> it's like the Pope dying. There's smoke in New York. It means the bear market is over. When smoke hits Wall Street, there you go. They've they've done. chosen a new president of Canada. If you I have a question, ask the compound show at gmail.com. You got to be on your game. Someone send us a video or voice recording too, because that'll go to the top of the heap immediately. We'd love that. Yeah, no uh, one's taken us up on that yet. But I've seen at least. Nope. Wow. Remember, hit subscribe I'll, here. I'll have to do it. Any questions you have, compound merch at idontshop.com. We have some new stuff coming, I think, soon, right, Duncan? Uh, yeah, it's we're doing a lot. All right. Keep those questions coming. Ask the compound show at gmail.com. We will see you next time. See you, everyone. Thanks for listening to Ask the Compound. All opinions expressed by Ben Carlson, Duncan Hill, and any of their guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.